Well, I'm back from uh, my family trip, and uh, just so you know, it went well. We left with four kids, came back with four kids. Uh, I'm still married. Our marriage is strong and healthy, and so uh, for all accounts, it was a a very successful family trip. It was really good. Uh, We went up to northern Wisconsin. The weather is a lot better there than here right now. Uh, like mid-70s, 15% humidity. It was really nice. And, uh, but we had a, an awesome trip, but I'm glad to be back here with you guys. But my wife and, and kids, Cody and the kids, they actually, we got back, we're here a day, and then the next day they flew out to Montana. So she's with her family and aunts and uncles and cousins and all that up in Montana. So I've had the last four days, Seems like a year, four, uh, four days by myself. Uh, and, and if you're like me, look, I love my family and I love my kids, but the reality is this, I'm basically a high-functioning introvert, which means I can do really well around people to a degree. And then I gotta be by myself like a little bit. And so the last four days has felt like more of a vacation than anything I could have experienced. And I've been working, working hard, but it's been good. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Pastor Harry last week. I heard he did an amazing job. And then obviously Pastor Jarrett before that. And uh, we are in this parable series. You guys been enjoying the series this, this summer. And uh, we're going to continue that today. I've enjoyed, it, it's cool to see the personality of Jesus come out in these parables. Because there's sometimes when he's funny, there's sometimes he's serious. There's sometimes he's just all out rebuking people. And, and, and I've enjoyed that. But, but what we may not all understand, and I know I didn't understand this for a long time. Jesus' teaching style actually changed at a certain point in his ministry, like the Sermon on the Mount, like he's there and it's just in very plain language. He was just telling people about how they can be blessed and everybody was understanding this and it was very kind of bottom shelf teaching, like put the cookies on the bottom shelf, everybody gets this. But not long after that, the religious leaders start accusing Jesus and saying this, saying that all the miracles he's doing, all the teachings that he has, all of that is coming from demonic power. That the, all, the only reason why Jesus is able to do all these uh, amazing things and amazing teachings and all this is because of demons. And the word says that from that point going forward that Jesus only taught in parables. And so what, what, what I didn't realize for a long time was that parables is actually Jesus' judgment against a religious spirit. Because... The religious people were saying, this is all from demons. And Jesus says, okay, well, because of that, then, then I'm going to move the cookies to the top shelf. But not to where you can't reach it, but to where you're going to have to come to me to understand it. And, and so that, that's what's happening. Now, a lot of the times when he was teaching, people could understand some of it. But a lot of times the parables, especially the religious people, are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. But there was a couple of times that Jesus gave a parable and it was a little bit more understandable and even the religious people got it. Got it. Uh, you guys remember when we talked about the Good Samaritan? Now that one was just really, really clear because Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story, which the Samaritans were the people that everyone was uh, racist against, the Jews were anyway, and then he made the religious people the bad guys. And that was really clear and that really ticked those guys off. But a lot of times when he's teaching these parables, people just weren't understanding what was going on. Like they just, they, they didn't get it when he told the story. Anybody ever try to tell your kids something, try to explain something to them, a principle to them, and they just weren't getting it? Anybody ever? I'm the only one in the whole room. 
Come on, any parents in the room, you try to tell your kids about something, trying to get them to explain or understand a principle, and they just ain't getting it. Like, no matter how hard you try to explain it to them. A lot of you can relate to this. Any of you ever have a problem with your kids understanding the proper cry for the proper situations? Okay, like, like there, there needs to be a scale of crying, like one, like a little, like <laughs> just kind of like a little pout. And that's what happens like if somebody calls you a name or something like that, right? And then it needs to build from there. And so a 10 on the cry scale needs to be like compound fracture bleeding out, okay? That's the only time you need to have a scale 10 cry. Well, a couple weeks ago, I hear one of my kids, I'll just go with that, outside screaming, yeah. Like I thought, oh my, oh my. like I almost ran out in the street with a gun. Like I, I thought... Some, somebody's attacking my child, something's going, and I'll go out there and they're just standing there and they're laughing. And I was like, what are you doing? They said, I just thought it'd be funny if I made it sound like something bad was happening and then you come running out here and you see me. And I'm like, I'm gonna kill you. And so I went to a classic, right? I was like, look, you gotta understand, there's a story of this little boy. <laughs> and he cried wolf. And everybody came out and there wasn't a wolf. And he did that a couple times and then eventually people quit believing him. And then a real wolf came along. And he cried wolf. And nobody came. And that wolf ate that kid. And, he, and the kid went to hell. Because <laughs> I'm like, they better get this. <laughs> and so I say that. And this is probably going to give away which child it was. They said, Dad, that's not even practical. Wolves hunt in packs, not alone. <laughs> I was like, you do not understand what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> well, that's what, what wound up happening with a lot of these parables. It's like Jesus, he is trying to communicate an incredibly important principle, but he has moved it to a point. A lot of us, if you had kids in your house, you got young kids and you got some cookies. We, we got, everybody's got that one spot in, in a cabinet or in a pantry or something like that where you put the adult treats, Right? <laughs> Yeah, you put them up high and they're hidden away. I don't want to know what those treats are, okay? You may need to repent, come to the altar after the service. But, but whatever it is, you got this spot that you put all that stuff to try to keep it like hidden away, okay? We got that. Our kids are getting bigger, though. They're starting to get creative. They're starting to figure out where some of those spots are. So we got to figure out other places we can hide it. So we got secret, secret compartments and walls and stuff, you know, where we're like put, putting stuff behind like little light cover sockets and like just sticking that in there. And joking, it's not that intense, but... But if you've got kids around your house, you got cookies, you put them on the top shelf, more than likely, maybe one of your kids is going to get real adventurous and try to climb up there and get them. But for the most part, the way they're going to get those cookies off the top shelf, they're going to have to do what? They're going to have to ask. So the reason why Jesus starts teaching in these parables is because the only people that are going to get the biblical principles around them are the people that hang out around him afterwards and say, Jesus, what does this mean? And he knew the religious people weren't going to do that. 
But the people that wanted to have a relationship with him and wanted to have a relationship with his heavenly father, those are going to be the people that figure this out. So what does that mean? Well, earlier in the scripture, when those people, when the religious people were saying, man, this is from demonic power, it says that it quenched the Holy Spirit. It, 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 it hurt the Holy Spirit's heart. And so the only way that you really get anything out of any of these is you've got to approach it with an open heart and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. Would you be the great counselor? Because, you know, you've heard people teach around these, these, these parables and these principles maybe a long time. If you're raised in church, you've heard about it your whole life. But I still believe that there's something that God needs to speak to you. And I still think that there's a fresh revelation that he wants to give you, but you won't get it unless you come close to the heart of God for you and say, what do you want to speak to me? Will you please reach up? And grab me a cookie and help me understand this. So we're going to get into this. And this is a little bit of a different parable because it goes from analogy right into action. And then like back into the parable. It's in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. It says this. The next day when they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Everybody say amen. amen. I, can, I can relate to that. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Okay, that, that's important. I'll, I'll tell you why here in a second. He went to find out if it had any fruit. Okay, now how many of y'all know Jesus is fully man, but he's fully God? How many of y'all know he knows whether or not there's something on the tree? It's not like when the scripture says he went to figure something out. Jesus never needed to figure out nothing. He knew. So all this is very intentional. He's doing all this to show us something, to prove something to us, but we're not going to see it right up front. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he just goes off. This gets kind of crazy, kind of like dramatic. Then he said to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you again. I don't know if y'all ever been that hungry before. Like hangry. I've been hangry before. You make some really poor life decisions when you're in this position sometimes. Like Jesus, he's traveling around, he's hungry. Anybody ever been traveling before and you get hungry and you look up, it's like the next town or city is 90 miles away and you're like, what am I gonna do? So you see a gas station, you pull off in there and you go inside and there's heat lamps with some taquitos and some, some gas station, uh, you know, like burritos and all that stuff. And you're like, man, that look good. This is basically like a Petri dish, like sitting under some heat lamps, right? Like a science project under there. But when you're that hungry, it's like, oh, I don't even care. I love taquitos from a gas station. Maybe they are three days old, okay? You know, I, but I'm going to do this. You get, they got like an Indian food buffet in there. You're like, it's probably a bad idea, but I'm just that hungry. And it'll ruin the rest of your trip and alter your life, okay? Uh, I, I know I've been in that place where I like was cursing something. Because if, if you've been around very long, we don't have to do it around here very long, but a while back I was driving down to GLR because so I was speaking down there. I was like, this is awesome because I get to go and have some Jesus chicken because it's on the way. And so, so I pull off and I'm like, I'm going to give me some Chick-fil-A and this is going to be great. And I pull up, I forgot it's Sunday. <laughs> and chicken freaking filet is not open on Sunday. And I said the same thing. May no one ever eat at this restaurant again. <laughs> it didn't work. I'm not that prophetic, I guess. 
On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and money changers and the benches of those selling doves. People used doves to atone for sin. They would sacrifice doves, so these people are selling this to, 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 to people because they knew people were coming in and trying to atone for their sins. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. And he taught them, and he said, It is written... My house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so I want you to get this. Remember the fig tree. What the fig tree represents is it represents the house of God. More specifically, it represents the body of Christ. So Jesus knows that he's getting ready to go into a house of God. And he's already setting this up. He's setting up this analogy to demonstrate what happens when you are supposed to be a place that produces or a person that produces fruit and you look like you're supposed to, but you don't. And it's the opposite. And the fact is that you are grieving the Holy Spirit. I love other translations that talks about how Jesus made a whip and went into this place. Like in there were like Indiana Jones with a bull whip and just starts, I want to get that picture on the wall. Like we got the picture of Jesus holding like a little lamb and stuff like that. I want the picture of Jesus driving people out with a bullwhip. That sounds like a pretty cool picture to me. But he's obviously frustrated. This is righteous anger coming from him. But he's not just talking about the place. He's talking about the heart of the people in the place. He goes on to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. It says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard and began looking for a way to kill him. So this ticked him so much, ticked him off so much that they're starting to plot how to kill him. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When the evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the root. And Peter remembered and said, Jesus. To Jesus, to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. Okay, now you need to understand him saying this is not like, yeah, because I told it and I have faith in my heavenly father and that's why it happened. He's not saying to have faith in God, to curse things and it to die. He's saying don't have faith in people, in things. Keep your faith in God. And I'll go more into what he's talking about as he gives this language. Because we've read through this many times. You may not understand the full context of the language behind it. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, that's important. If you got your Bible, Bible app, you can highlight that word mountain. Go, uh, go throw yourself into sea and, and does not doubt in his heart but believes that he, what he says will happen. Then it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold, and this is a theme throughout all of his teachings, so many of the parables, this theme of forgiveness. If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Okay, so let's start unpacking this a little bit. I think one of the main issues that Jesus is trying to point out is something I already said. You can appear to be fruitful but not have any fruit. Okay, so the fig tree. When leaves are growing on the fig tree, 
that was supposed to be an indication that there would be fruit. When you would see a fig tree that was in leaf, it was supposed to be an indication, okay, because it's in leaf, there should be fruit growing on that tree. And it wasn't happening. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have been following Christ for three years or longer? How many of y'all have been following Christ? Wow, a lot of you, wow. So this is what I've learned as, as a believer in my own life and as I watch people. You can get really, really good at looking like a Christian. You can get really good at having the appearance, even in church services, like you know when to raise your hands. You know the right way to present yourself. I've seen people, it's like, like you can tell like, I could tell you when they were going to get red in the face, when they were going to get preachy, when they were going to, you know, when they were going to start praying in tongues, when they were going to, whatever this spiritual demonstration. As Christians, can get really easy to be around the things of God and be around church and have the appearance and no real internal fruit. We know what it looks like to be a Christian, but we're not really producing fruit. And I think that's a good caution for us. I've seen this happen because the, the proof is in the true fruit. So what's the fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, if you come to church and you, in, or you come around church things, you come around life group, you come around whatever, and you come across like, I'm a person who's a Christian, I am in leaf, you have the appearance but around your family, around your kids, around the people at Walmart, on the road, wherever it is, you are not producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selfish, uh, selflessness, goodness. If you're not producing these things, then you're in leaf, but you're not truly producing. And you can begin to wither. I think one of the things that happens is we start allowing ourselves to be driven by our worldly definition of success, including how we present ourselves in church. A pastor friend of mine said it this way. This is his definition of success. When the people who know me the best respect me the most. So at the end of the day, if I can have the appearance of something that somebody that should be producing fruit, but my kids, my wife, and my close friends don't respect me more than anyone else on the planet, that is a good indication that I have the appearance, but I am not producing true fruit. I'm not producing it, which means I'm, I'm not really walking in the spirit. I think it also warns us that there are some places that you should never go and eat again. There are some places that you should never go back to to get fulfillment. Jesus says that, that they've created the house of God as a den of robbers and that it's offensive to him. This is a, it became a place of like greedy business where high priest, these families, they were filthy rich and everyone else, the money exchangers, filthy rich. And the people that are going, coming there to get restored and to find healing and to find forgiveness and to find hope and to find grace are being taken advantage of. And 2,000 years later, unfortunately, that can still happen around the church. That can still happen around the body of Christ. 
But it's not just talking about those people. It's talking about the people that come and take advantage of the house of God and the things of God. Period. For their own selfish gain. For what they want, for what they need. Which is why it's so important that we do things like we did yesterday. Where it's not about us. I loved the way one of the guys said that I talked to. I just want to say, hey, thank you so much for doing this. And he said, it's just who we are. That should be the case. Serve day should not be something that we do. Serving should be who we are. And not just one day a, week, a, a year. This should be something that we're always looking for opportunities. <laughs> because those are indications of fruit. Those are indications of us walking with the Spirit. It drives me crazy when I see churches taking advantage of people. People taking advantage of churches. I don't know if this happens anymore, but there was a while back where on Christian TV, these TV evangelists, man, they were robbing people like crazy. I remember I would watch it sometimes just to get motivated to be, to walk in the spirit. It would tick me off. I'd watch it for five minutes, and I was just like, oh, my, I just want to knock somebody out. But it would remind me, that's why I've got to be real and transparent. That's why I've got to walk in the Spirit so I don't become that. But I remember, like, TV evangelists, like, oh, I feel, oh, there's someone watching today, and they've got a pain in their elbow. And I just want you to take that elbow and touch it to the screen right now. Touch it to the screen. If you will touch that elbow to the screen and sow a seed into our ministry of $160.99. I believe that God is going to not only heal your elbow, that he's going to return that investment from that seed 60, 100, 150 fold into your life if you'll send it right now. If you don't, I can't tell you. I, don't, I can't guarantee that you'll be healed. I can't guarantee that you'll be blessed. <laughs> and they talk like that. I'm not... I'm trying not to judge. It's not the style, it's the content that is unbiblical. This is my standard. But that drives me crazy. But one of the greatest concerns that I have right now is more that there's so many people in the church that are living a lifestyle where it is Jesus plus something else. Like Jesus plus my horoscope. Jesus plus these rocks that were blessed by a holy man. And if I lay those on my kids every night and pray over them, then they're going to heal them. I love Jesus. I just love my rocks too. I don't know why every time I do that, it winds up sounding like a country bumpkin. It's just the way it happens. I just default to that. I could try British. I'm going to sound like Forrest Gump. So it winds up being the same thing. But so many of these things, like cultish outlier groups that are kind of like Jesus-ish. Oh, man, this, I'm just telling you, this, this book, this person, they just got a lot of really good things to say. Okay. I'm not saying that you can't learn from a lot of different places and a lot of different sources. But if it does not line up with this book, please don't make it a belief system. 
Please don't make it a conviction in your life. Please don't get on social media and start sounding like you're a believer and adding some Jesus in there and then communicating things that are not Jesus and not his word. Be careful that you pass all this. Look, you should criticize even what I say according to the filter of the word of God, according to the Holy Spirit. Please don't ever just come into any situation and just be like, oh, yeah, this is really good. Whatever you say, I'm just going to soak it up. That would be foolish. By the grace of God, by the relationships that I have, by the fear of the Lord that I try to walk in every day, I hope I never say or do anything that would lead you away from this truth. But by the Holy Spirit, and by your own understanding and revelation of the word, you are accountable and responsible that you examine everything. And when I say be critical, I don't mean start sending me emails like, hey, the way you said that. Blah, blah. And that's just not you. What I'm saying is critique, examine, measure everything according to the word of God. Because if you don't, you will feed in places you should never feed. And you should never go back there to feed there. Because sometimes there are things that look good, taste good, and they'll kill you. A long time ago, I was in Mexico in this village, and there was a lot of times we would, for, for the meal, like we would slaughter an animal and prepare it. And so we slaughtered this pig, and we were preparing this pig, and they just made this big pot where they fried everything. And I, when I say everything, I mean everything. And so they serve that out, and they've got some mule up in there and some rice and some handmade tortillas. And I'll tell you what, it's killer. It's really, really, really good. You wouldn't imagine that everything that they put in this pot, like every part of this pig was in this pot. You wouldn't imagine, but it was all really, really good. First bowl was good, and the second bowl was good. The third bowl, I started looking around at our team, and I'm noticing they're getting really uncomfortable. Like something's going on. And so I was like, okay, well, well, hold up. And right around that time, one of the ladies, like the lady of the house came in, and she had this really concerned look on her face. And I speak some Spanish, but she was so upset. She was speaking really fast, and I couldn't understand what she was saying. So she went to our translator, and she, and, and, and she told him something, and then he said, y'all need to stop eating that. We're like, we have three bowls. And it turns out that a couple of the young ladies that she sent down to the river to clean out the intestines, that one of the bowls they were supposed to clean didn't get clean. And they cut all that up and put it in our soup. I tell you, that, that made the next few days a little bit difficult for us as a team. A little Montezuma's revenge, if you know what I mean. There are some things in your life that can look really good and taste really good, but if it hasn't been examined, it can kill you. So I wanna give you some keys to a fruitful life. And really it boils down to faith and forgiveness because those are the two things that Jesus highlights at the end of this story. The first thing I think we need to do, we need to pray for God to remove anything that is causing us to be unfruitful. Pray for God to remove anything that's causing us to be unfruitful. 
Verse 22, it says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if any of you says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes what they have said, it will happen. It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. But what you may not understand, one of the titles of the religious teachers at the time translated, translates to mover of mountains. That was one of the titles. So Jesus is going back at the religious teachers again and saying, no, it's not a hope in man. It's not a hope. It is your faith partnered with God that moves mountains. Nothing else. No one else. It's your faith and your passion and your pursuit of the presence of God that moves mountains. That's what it is. Look, I, I've seen sometimes when a lot of people have been rallied around something, praying for something, but then I've gone and speak, speak to the people who they're praying for and the situation they're praying for. And those people are away from God and not pursuing God and don't have an intimate relationship with him. They call themselves Christians, but they're not in relationship with God. And so there are people believing and praying, but the truth is that sometimes what God is most interested in is the people that are in the middle of the situation and circumstance. His number one priority is for them to be in intimate relationship with him. His number one priority is not to fix the situation or the circumstance. His number one priority is to make sure that they know who they are in Christ. And when you're in that place, mountains can move. Mountains can move. It moves obstacles. It moves situations and circumstances. Every time you pray, I just want to encourage you, pray with faith. And pray precisely. So often I hear people praying like just like vague prayers. God bless me. How? How do you want God to bless you? Sometimes God's blessing you. You don't even know he's blessing you because you didn't ask him specifically for what you wanted him to bless you with. Pray specifically. God, I just be with us. Got it. What else? Like be passionate and specific. Pray with faith. Put your heart out there and say, God, will you move in these particular areas of my life? And then begin to list them specifically and intentionally. You know, I find that most of my struggles have nothing to do with, the, with Satan. He is a defeated foe. Usually that's not the issue for me. I, I don't go around saying, man, this, the devil be so busy today in my life. Not today, Satan, not today. Because usually I just don't, I don't operate that way. I don't feel like that's the case. I don't feel like, it's like Satan's always coming to get, his demons are coming at me. You know what the thing that gets me the most? My own habits. My own decisions. My struggles. My temptations. But when I'm honest and real with God and with someone that I love and trust about those things and say, I need God to move in this. That's when freedom comes. That's when God can really change some things. If you don't, you will wither. People who wither, I think there's a few things that people who wither, they have these tendencies. First of all, people who wither edit scripture. 
there's a tendency to lean into what you like in the word and be like, yeah, there's that other scripture too, but that doesn't really fit my day today. It doesn't really fit how I'm feeling. That's a dangerous place to be. I've had people tell me before, it's like, you're really intense. Like, could you just inspire us? I just want to let you know it's not my job to just inspire you. I will inspire you. It's my job to make fully devoted followers of Christ. And I'll tell you sometimes, most of the time, that's going to take some challenge. That's going to take some uncomfortable things being heard and being said. It is a reality. And I'm not going to compromise the word of God. I'm not going to say some things because I feel like people will, more, maybe I can have more. I, look, this church could be three times this size. All I'd have to do is compromise a little scripture. And I'm not interested in it. No way. Not going to happen. Won't do it. People that wither, they live an unexamined life. In other words, they don't peer into their own soul and ask the hard questions. Like, why am I holding on to this secret? Why does this temptation keep popping up? Why does this make me so angry? Am I really being a godly man or a godly woman or a godly mom or a godly dad to my children? God, what's the next step that you have for me? I've been in cruise control. What do you want to do next? What's the legacy that I'm going to leave behind after I die? I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I want that to be a really good day. And I think if you've confessed Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to go to heaven. But that day could be difficult even if you're going to heaven. Because just like Pastor Harry spoke about last week on the parable of the talents, there's been some things that God has given you. Are you being faithful with them? Questions like, what could God do in my life and through my life if I truly trusted him 100%? What would God do with my life? What could God do with my life? And what will God do if I open him to him in that way, just 100% in every area. It says in Psalm 139, 22, 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, test me. This is, a, this is an intense prayer by David. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me that leads me away from everlasting. People who live an unexamined life, the reason why they're living in an unexamined life is because, first of all, they fill it with noise. I'm not saying that all these things are bad, but some of these things in excess and as a temporary relief away from conviction, away from your desperate and dire need to spend time in the presence of God, winds up just being noise like TV, sports, games, Netflix, social media. It's just commotion. I've been there, I've done that. I've spent way too long doing this. That thread just keeps going, by the way. 
it doesn't end. It's designed. It'll keep populating. You could spend your whole life. Then you pop a video like, I just want to watch this one video. Guess what? They've designed it to where as soon as that video is done, there's another video coming. Before you know it, it's just noise. Or maybe it's not that you're laying back doing that, but you just fill it with activity. If you have an unexamined life, you could do that too. You just fill it with activity. Just go, 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 go. More stuff, more doing. Dude, we got to get over here. We got to do this. We got to do this. We've talked about this before, but you cannot love and you cannot grow until you slow down. You can't love your spouse, your children, your neighbor until you stop and slow down. Psalm 4610 says this, be still and know that I'm God. But the opposite is also true. Never be still, you'll never know God. You can't. He speaks in a whisper. He's a gentleman. He's knocking. You've got to slow down long enough to answer. Another thing that people that live an unexamined life do is they fill their life with superficial relationships. Superficial friends, people that are stagnant, people without vision, people without a dream, People that are satisfied with just kind of skimming the surface of life. But Proverbs 27, 17 says this, for as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You ever start rubbing some iron against iron, like hard? Sparks fly. It is violent. It is uncomfortable. It's not easy. But people who live an unexamined life, they never truly have deep relationships. Because we've got to have people in our life that at one point are the push back. And say, hold on, God has called you to something more. God has called you to something more than what you're doing and the way you're living. And yeah, I, I understand it's summer. I understand a lot's going on. But you've been disconnected from the body of Christ almost three months now. What is going on? I love you too much and to let you continue to do this. If you live an unexamined life, you won't have people around you that are that kind of a friend. Because by the way, that's real love. That's when people really care about you, when they hold you to the standard of who God's called you to be. That's real love. So there's like three points, three subpoints, three subsubpoints, all in that one point. Last point is this maintain a quick to forgive attitude. You gotta have some faith, and then you gotta be willing to forgive. If you don't, you wither. If you don't, you won't produce fruit. I'm going to wrap this up. When you stand, pray. If you hold anything, everybody say anything. Anything against anyone. Everyone say anyone. Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, I use, you know, some of us, we could read this first and be like, well, yeah, I forgave like so-and-so for stealing all that money from me or so-and-so for abusing me or so-and-so for, but this is saying anything and anyone. That's so hard. Because we have to deal with other drivers. <laughs> we got to deal with other people's kids. We got to deal with our own kids. But it says, don't hold any, look, 
Satan has a limited tackle box of the things that he uses to try to catch us and ensnare us. But his number one lure is bitterness. Unforgiveness. He loves to offend, get people offended, and then they get embittered, and then they're caught. And then it's like a, it's like a treble hook. Anybody ever been hooked before with a hook? Anybody ever had a hook before? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. When you get that in there, do you just try to rip it out? How's it? You like to see how that works for you? It don't. The only way that you get a hook out, what do you have to do? You got to push it all the way through and expose the barb. Until you expose that barb, you cannot remove it. I find that the same thing is true when it comes to bitterness. You can stuff it down under the surface for a really long time, but in reality, until you let it be revealed by the Holy Spirit, let it be exposed, you can't remove it. And I believe that some of you, one of the main reasons why you are not producing the fruit that God has for you in your life is this principle right here. I have seen people waste a life in bitterness, waste gifts, waste talents in bitterness. It says this in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. That word defiled, it actually means to change color. I've seen this happen in people's lives. I've seen people have medical issues. I've seen people almost die because they have so much bitterness and unforgiveness that is built up inside of them. Some of you, you know when you're bitter. You know when you're bitter, but some of you, you don't see it. It's a blind spot in your life. And so here's some indications. If you have a tendency to be critical all the time, if you have a difficult time celebrating people, celebrating victories, if you have a difficult time just allowing something positive to happen without critiquing what didn't happen positive, those can be indications that you maybe you're struggling with some bitterness. The reason why I know this is because I've lived there. There was a large percentage of my adult life where I was so critical. Even if somebody did something awesome around, like even early when my kids were first born, I was still struggling with this and they would do something cool. And instead of just celebrating and saying, man, that was awesome, so proud of you. I could never just leave it there. I said, next time, if you do it this way, it'll be even better. You could change this a little bit. And then I was critical about other people around me. Like I just didn't feel like, I felt like everybody needed to have the same convictions that I had. And I'd let them know if they didn't but it's because I was dealing with some unforgiveness and some hurt from when I was a kid. And as soon as I push that hook through, ooh, that hurts too. Clipped that off and removed it. That's when I healed. That's when I got healed. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I think there's some of you that need to deal with some of that. If you're here in this room and 
Truth is, it could be a spouse that you haven't forgiven. It could be a kid. It could be God. It could be that you're frustrated and you're bitter towards God because of something. I don't know what it is, but, but let's deal with that. If you're here and you, you would say, man, that's me. I know that I'm, de- I'm dealing with some bitterness. I, I know that it's, it's keeping me from being fruitful. I'm withering. That's you. Nobody look around. Just put your hand up. Let's just confess this before God this morning. Yeah, a lot of hands. Father God, we just confess that we're weak and we need your grace. We need your grace. God, you've forgiven us for so much. You've forgiven us for so much. You're never impatient. You're never critical towards me. Why, Why do I think it's okay for me to be so judgmental and negative and critical towards other people? Right now, I just confess that. I sin, I, I confess I've missed the mark on that. And I know what I need more than anything. I need a deeper, clear revelation of how much you love, forgive, and have given me grace. Because I know I can't give what I don't have. So God, help me. Help me. Help expose anything in me. God, whatever the specific time or situation or circumstance or person that has caused this hurt, that has caused this bitterness, reveal it, God. Show me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to see it so I can remove it, so I can be healed. Thank you, God, for doing that. If you're here in this room, you've never accepted the love, the grace and forgiveness in Jesus. If you've never accepted eternal life through a confession of who he is as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did, but you're away from him and you need to come back to him, but you know you're away from God right now. You have no confidence. If you died this afternoon, you have no confidence that you would go to heaven. And I want to give you that confidence. And if you're in this room and you're just ready and you, you would just be willing to confess, yeah, I need him. I need God. I need a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. If that's you, will you please put your hand up right now? Nobody looking around. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Got it there at the back. Thank you. You raising your hand doesn't get you saved. I just want you to know your pastor and brother in Christ is seeing you and believing with you right now. Anybody else, if I didn't see you, God, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anybody else? May the grace of God hit you right there in your chair like you've never experienced before. May his presence rest on you in this moment. And all you have to do is just say something like this. You need to go public with this decision at one point or another through water baptism. I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to tell somebody about this as soon as you can. (laughs) But right there in your chair, just say, God, here's my life. I know I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. I need you. I need you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I don't understand everything about the Bible. I don't understand, but I want to be close to you. I want to understand my purpose. And so I confess that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness and I believe that that the price that you paid on the cross, Jesus, it covers me. And I thank you that you defeated sin, you defeated death when you rose from the grave. And I thank you that, that now, by this simple prayer and by what little faith I may have in your hands, I also have the hope of heaven. And I thank you for that, but I wanna live life and life to the full 
now. I want to produce all the fruit that you would have for me to produce for the rest of my life until you return. So speak to me by your spirit, by your word. Help me to be connected within the body of Christ, to be encouraged and challenged to grow. Thank you, God, for that. Father, by your grace, by your mercy, let us be a place, but more important, let us be a people that never just have the appearance that we should be producing fruit, but we don't. Let us always be a people. Let us always be a place that produces fruit. A place where people can come and eat freely of your presence, of who you are. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.